We're going to dismiss children for junior church at this time, pages four through fourth grade. As I uh, was preparing for this message, I was beckoned all over the scriptures for support verses and for scriptures that would reinforce or bring to uh, my mind and heart that uh, understanding that is so much needed in this area of, of the study of justification. And uh, I am not going to go to too many of those, but I do want to uh, just uh, add a few in our time this morning. I appreciate your praying for your pastors as we study and as we handle God's word. It is imperative that you pray for us. And uh, in all of my weakness and in all of my inability, I have to trust completely on the Lord. And uh, so I do so this morning in this presentation of this scripture. And uh, I, uh, I had finished my bulletin last night and gone home and Joan read what my scripture was for the opening of that service and my theme for today. And she said, Bert, uh, we should be singing his robes for mine. And the light went on. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, that's why we sang this morning. It's not in your bulletin, but we sang it, and I appreciate that so much because I think of any of the songs that we sing, this just fits so well in the truths of this matter and the theology of uh, justification. And so as we look at this portion of Scripture, and I just trust that for you, you'll find it a rewarding time, especially as we come to the table. If you're here today and you don't know Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, why I would encourage you to hear what the apostle teaches us about uh, justification, the work of God in our lives that enables us as sinners to be robed in the righteousness of another, the Lord Jesus himself, and so that we become the righteousness of Christ. It's an amazing, amazing concept and one which should bring us to that place in our lives where we are just grateful to the Lord and it just is overflowing our hearts and our minds and it, it, it shows in the, it's demonstrated and manifest in the way we live our lives and the way we respond. My problem is that too often I do not see the memorials that we have in place. The Word of God, this Word itself, uh, Galatians 2.20, is one of those memorials. This at the table is a memorial, and those memorials, if you remember, are set up that when we walk by them, when we come in contact with them, those things should trigger within us that adoration and that, that uh, uh, reminder of the faithfulness and the grace of God to sinners. People who do not deserve in any way, shape, or form the gift of life that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I, I think that uh, I would like to just begin with these thoughts that um, the apostle is writing to the Galatians, to the church at Galatia, and to us as we live out in uh, these years, that uh, those things that he wants to impress upon not only the Galatian Christians, but upon us, and that is this, acceptance with God is affected through a simple act of trust in Jesus Christ and not through anything else. Let me say that again. Acceptance with God is effected through a simple act of trust in Jesus Christ and not through anything else. In other words, he is laying the foundation for this scriptural truth by faith alone. And so it is that we come to this table of the Lord and we can come. And, and you know, Paul says, you, you be ready to come. You, you examine your life in, in uh, uh, light of the Holy Scriptures. And when we do that, we realize how utterly impossible we find it to live in a position where we could come open face before our mighty God and receive these marvelous gifts of grace by receiving these envelopes. And so what do we have to do? We have to go back to this basic uh, foundational truth that effective uh, 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 acceptance with God is affected through a simple act of trust in Christ. The only way. By faith alone. And so it is. We come knowing that when Jesus died, we in a real sense died with him. He for us. We with him so that we may stand as his righteousness in the presence of Almighty God. That's what we call grace. And I don't deserve it. I'm amazed by it. I'm thrilled by it. I'm humbled by it. Nothing sobers me up more than understanding that I am a sinner saved by his grace alone. And so we have in the verses surrounding Galatians 2.20 the declaration of what Paul uses as this marvelous doctrine. And I don't want to focus so much on uh, the fact that he is writing to the Galatians and he is... Uh, 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 coming uh, to, to this, the table and bringing these thoughts uh, to repudiate all that's going on. But I want us to come with it in mind, this particular verse, as a memorial, as a reminder to us personally, as we come to this table, that we come because of Jesus Christ. In no other way could we have access to the presence of Almighty God. Jesus alone. 
And so we see justification, and I would just like to say this, that justification in its basic meaning is uh, the declaration that somebody is right. That's easy for us. The declaration that somebody is right. Me, in this case. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, forgiven at the cross. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's my position before the mighty throne of God. In reality, I know myself, I know how my mind thinks, I know what kind of thinking I am capable of, I know me. And so it humbles me even more as I find a reception of love from my Heavenly Father. It's because I'm dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. Not my own. My own smells bad, looks bad, is nasty. But I come today to the table of the Lord dressed in the robes of Christ's righteousness alone. So, the verdict has come from Almighty God Himself. Mighty God! The verdict of God as the righteous judge that somebody who has formerly stood condemned has now been granted a new status. It's as if I'm at the bar of divine justice. God has granted to me forgiveness and a new status. I am the righteousness of Christ. Before we look at that, um, that scripture that I've chosen as my text in Galatians, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And I just want to look at verse 8. It's a familiar verse. And it says this, for by grace are you saved. Grace, God's unmerited favor. In other words, I don't deserve it, and neither do you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want you to hear something. I was reading in some of the writings of um, godly men and this man by the name of Williams, and he has a translation of the Bible, and he gives this translation. It's called Williams' Translation, and, and the eighth verse goes like this. For it is by his unmerited favor through faith that you have been saved. It is not anything that you have done, it is the gift of God. So simply stated, I believe so beautifully stated. So if you would then take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 2.20, I want us to look at this, if you would with me. <clears throat>
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son, or by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How wonderful it is that we can come to a verse like this and grasp truth and take with us to enable us to live tomorrow morning when we get up and get going to the job or whatever we're doing, whether we face family or, or face people in the community or whatever is going on. And so we have in this, and I, I have put in the bulletin the idea that this is Paul's theology just in, just in this one simple statement. On this whole treatment of the doctrine of justification by faith. And uh, as I look at this, I, there, it, just, it just reads easy. It's a, it's a pastor's um, joy to look at the scripture and to find a ready outline made that's there for us. And so if you just look at it, I want to break this down into some essential truths, I would call them, from this marvelous statement that the apostle gives. And uh, if you would bear with me in this, I would like to just take some time to look at this. And I, I want to, I, I have four that I have put uh, together or that the Lord has put together right out of the scripture. The first is the statement, I am crucified with Christ. And so what I want, the first two of these have to do with our union with our Savior. Union. We are one together in this. And the first two have to do. First of all, it's the, the, uh, the union that is in death. Now that's a truth, and there are, there are truths here that I want us to understand. And the first one is that, that union, it's a death union with Jesus, with our Savior. What a way to begin, huh? But this is the very foundation of our following through with what God has given to us. I am crucified with Christ. It's in that sense of his death that we get a grasp of what uh, it means to understand and identify with our Savior's death. You've heard preachers say why when Christ died, we died. I died in Christ. And sometimes that's a very difficult uh, idea for us to grasp totally. And I'm hoping that we can help this a little bit. And um, I want you to understand that uh, uh, it's an enduring principle that is taught here because of uh, the verb that is in the, in, the, in the perfect tense here. I am crucified with Christ. And remember that is an, has an enduring quality of, of the action. In other words, we are, it's an ongoing thing. We live in that. We are being, uh, we, are, we are very aware of that we uh, are crucified with Christ. It's, it, it, that action just didn't stop and hinder was there. It, it goes on with us. And so uh, as we look at uh, uh, this, we can say, I stand crucified with Jesus Christ. Or, 
As one man put it this way, I have been co-crucified with Christ and the results abide into the present time. Paul here is actually talking about how he uh, died to the, the, the old law, but that he, uh, in, in identifying with the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, uh, entered into that new covenant of God's grace. Now, uh, something to help us understand why Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ and have it be meaningful to him. As a Jew who understood every aspect of, of um, what transpired in Jewish worship, why um, it, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, he pictures then how the Jewish believers witnessed the death of uh, of a sacrificial animal. They'd bring that animal to the temple, the tabernacle, or then later on the temple, and uh, it was their sacrifice. It was brought before God because they were not worthy to come before God, and so they bring a sacrifice that would deal with the sin issue in their lives. And so when a Jewish believer witnessed the death of a sacrificial animal, just uh, say it's a lamb, they bring a lamb as prescribed, they recognize that this animal was actually dying as a consequence of their sin. So this man would see and bring that lamb to the priest and the priest would then draw blood from that lamb. It's as if that man had hold of that lamb. And that lamb would come and be the sacrifice on his behalf. That lamb, that little animal was dying as a consequence of that man's sin. Now that meant something. It was saying something very great for that people. And I would say this then, when, when we as believers see the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see Jesus receiving the consequences of our sin. And so we identify with the Lamb of God in his death. We see the beautiful, beautiful type of Jesus Christ in the sacrificial system in the dying of the lamb as a substitution for the sin of that individual. So it's, that's the first truth. And it has to do with our union with Jesus. We identify with him in his death. When we hear about the death of Jesus Christ, we identify it, we should identify it, because it was there on the cross that he took our sin. And in a real sense, we went to the cross with Jesus. We identify with him in his death, and we understand that it is the consequences. He was dying as a consequence of my sin, of your sin. So I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. The second truth I want us to see here is in the next phrase, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives 
in me. It's just been the cross. It's just been the bloody sacrifice. It's just been the shedding of blood as a consequence to my sin. And now the phrase is, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the second truth I want us to see is the life union that we have in Jesus. We have a death union. We have a life union. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. That's how we face life, and that's how we look at uh, everything that goes on in our lives, that it is Jesus who lives, and we are expressing his grace and his love and his mercy in our lives and making him manifest to people around us. Paul is, is laying before us this expression of his doctrine of the indwelling Christ. How important is that? Now, that doesn't mean that in our time and in our lives that we are delivered from our current realm of suffering and, and sin and, and death. Those things still take place in our bodies, are still present. But the truth here is the indwelling Christ in life takes up residence in my life in the believer's life. That person who trusts Christ's work alone for salvation. He takes up his residence in the believer's life. He is sanctifying, that is that work of God in the believer as he grows in maturity in the presence of God and his word. And he sanctifies our body. He sets us apart as the temple of the Holy Spirit and enabling us to approach the throne of God as we do in prayer. That's a thrilling aspect of this union that we have, this, this truth, this life union truth. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Do you realize if you take that verse, that every day as you head out your door and you understand these basic truths, that you are saying, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Jesus Christ himself lives in my life. If we would do that with different people, we would be. Sometimes we get careless and we get forgetful because we have not seen the reminders in the word of God and places like this at the table of the Lord. Romans 8, 9 talks about this whole concept. He, you see, Paul not only died with Jesus Christ, but now he lives unto God through the Spirit of Christ that dwells within him. 
He says, he writes in Romans 8, verse 9, if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you have come by faith in Christ, you have received this spirit. And this spirit is enabling you, equipping you, that you might bring glory and honor. So, how wonderful it is that we have this memorial that we set up by our participation in a time like this, a communion service, reminding us of the truth of this doctrine. I am dead, but Christ lives through me. Do you realize how marvelous that truth is? How could flesh like this find the manifestation of God's life in Jesus Christ through the indwelling spirit every day of my life? It's called our appropriating all that God makes available to us so that it's just not an external time when we received Christ Jesus, but it is a transformation that actually gives life and has to do with the way we live. I, I don't know if you agree with John Calvin and many of his uh, doctrines, but I have chosen one of his statements and I believe that he is right on with this. He writes this, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Do you know Christ today? Do you know that you have trusted in his finished work on the cross? Do you know that he abides within you? That you died with him, but now you live with him as well. Brings us right up to the, um, the next truth that I want to share with you, and it, it is... Um, it's what I call the faith truth. The faith truth. And he says this, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a wonderful declaration. I live by faith in the Son of God. You know what? Even though the Christian life takes place in the flesh, in this old pot, remember the earthen pot, the earthen vessel, in the flesh, it is nonetheless, as the Bible says, lived by faith. That's what Paul is saying here. The life I live, I live in this earthly body. I live by faith in the Son of God. 
So not only are we justified by faith, we also live by faith. Our ongoing life is lived out by faith. And so I would say this. There are people who say, oh, I came to the Lord when I was six years old and I never read the scriptures after. I never, I don't understand really walking with the Lord. I believe that this lays the foundation that saving faith cannot be reduced to a one-time decision or event in my past. It is a living, dynamic reality. It's, it, it, it gets into it permeates every aspect of my life. The object of this faith is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me. That brings me right to the last truth I want to share with you, and it's this. It's the substitution hyphen redemptive truth that we see here in Galatians 2.20. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Loved me and gave himself for me. That's a, such a marvelous truth that he, he, he brings it all together. It was the love of God, his unmerited, immeasurable, infinite love of God that sent Jesus Christ to the cross where he took upon himself my sin, your sin, and he died there. And he, his precious life blood was spilt upon that cross and upon the ground for you and for me. And so when we come to this table, we take into our hands this little wafer. And it re represents the body of Christ. It isn't the body of Christ, it represents the body of Christ. It's just our memorial, our Ebenezer. We set it up as a reminder of what Jesus did and who he is and how he has entered into our very lives. And we partake of that. We identify with Jesus in his body broken, placed upon that cross, crucified for us. And then we take the cup that represents his precious blood that flowed from his body and it's in his shed blood, it's the death. It's talking about the death. So we don't idolize some cup of juice, but, we are, but when it says through the blood, it's through Jesus' death, his dying, his sacrifice on our behalf. And we have this opportunity to partake of it as a memorial, a reminder. God loves us. And now we are able to live out the life 
that Jesus desires in us because he enables us, because he is present with us as the spirit of God dwells within every believer. I want us to just pray. Take a few moments of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bring anything to the surface of your thinking that you need to confess as sin. And the joy we have of claiming a verse like this that puts us there as the righteousness of Christ in the presence of God. But don't let sin in your life hinder you in your rejoicing, in your sharing in this time. Let's pray.